This week on Geek Explained, we're covering maybe the weirdest entry in the Kingdom Hearts franchise, Kingdom Hearts Coded. Welcome back to Geek Explain, the podcast for comics, film, TV, and more. You name it, we geek explain it. I'm your host, Eric Azana, and today's episode is the next entry into our Kingdom Hearts retrospective. We've been working our way through the Kingdom Hearts series in anticipation for the release of Kingdom Hearts 3 in January. So month by month, we've been going through each game in the series chronologically up to the release of the new game. And that has led us to the most um, strange game, I think, in the series personally, which is Kingdom Hearts Coded, uh, or Kingdom Hearts RE Coded, or Recoded, or any number of different uh, designations for this game. This game is weird. This game is really, really weird. There's a lot of uh, things that are introduced into the game. There's a lot of different concepts, different terminologies, all kinds of different intentions with different characters and different uh, revisits to worlds we've seen before, and it's just a lot. It's a lot. So um, I am going to try to work my way through it as clearly as I can, but I will let you guys in on a little secret. There was a point where it got a little... It got so confusing on why certain things were happening, who was doing what, where this was taking place, that at a certain point I was just going to read off of the uh, official Kingdom Hearts wiki to just give you the story synopsis for it. But I decided after I was like working my way through and certain things were being left out that I was going to try and go through it as clearly as I can my way because I feel like if I just did that if I just went through and read the wiki in this episode it kind of defeats the purpose of doing these episodes in the first place I could just send you to like hey here's the background whatever go read the wiki page and that's not really what we do here that's not what the uh, series has been about the series has been about sharing this story going through each step and getting to experience it all over again and experience it with you guys so i really wanted to put my own stamp on it as i have with all the previous episodes and since it's coming near to the end i'm wanting to put as much effort into it as i can leading up to kingdom hearts 3 which is in whew, it's just over a month it's just over a month away it feels so far away and yet it feels way too close because <laughs> i have one more episode in this series that being dream drop distance and i am really really excited for that game 
I'll let you guys know that this game, Coded, as well as Dream Drop Distance, I have never played through. So I went into both of these games, the last two games in the series, completely blind. And maybe that was the right way to go, maybe it wasn't the right way to go, but it was an experience, let me tell you. And it was kind of a refresher in this idea that, hey, this series can get really confusing really easily. So, um... I worked it all out as much as I could. Uh, I've compiled the full list of notes on what the story's gonna, I guess, go through. Um, I'm gonna, again, try to do this as clearly as possible. But I wanted to just fill you guys in on uh, my kind of experience going through these games. Uh, I was really confused. Um, I was at times a little bored with this game but um overall it's definitely something that happened <laughs> and um a full kingdom hearts retrospective wouldn't be uh complete without this so uh we're gonna first jump into the background of this game the full development we're going to jump into the story, and then we'll touch a little bit on any remakes remasters anything that happen to this game after its release and then as always stick around until the very end for our segment this week in comics where i will be telling you what comics i think you should be checking out this week on uh, new comic book day on wednesday today or tomorrow since i'm recording this before wednesday time is weird so uh, we'll go ahead and jump into the development here. And uh, Kingdom Hearts Coded, or Recoded, or RE Coded, was initially a Japan-exclusive mobile phone game conceived in uh, mid-2007. Um, at this point, Tetsuya Nomura, who's kind of been the director for the whole series, really wanted to make a game set in the Kingdom Hearts universe uh, on a mobile platform and have it play differently from pretty much every other game in the series. His main goal, as he said in interviews, was to make this game a playground for fans. And at the time, that was really strange direction to get uh, from the man who's running the whole thing for the rest of the studio. They didn't know exactly what he was getting at, what he really wanted to accomplish with this game. And it feels like, after doing some of the research, that Nomura might not have known what he wanted to do with this game. Because as it turns out, this game, which has the basis of being set after Kingdom Hearts 2 with uh, catching up with Mickey, Donald, and Goofy following the events of that game, was initially supposed to be non-canon. It was essentially, this was going to be a game that was set in the worlds of Kingdom Hearts, but didn't have to connect or, um, I guess, uh, matter to any of the other games in the series. And this was supposed to be just a fun little mobile game you could play on your phone, and that was supposed to be it. It was supposed to have no bearing on the greater uh, Kingdom Hearts story. But later on, through the development, Nomura decided that he, he did want this to be part of the overall story. But at this point, he had been deep. He had been nearly... 
waist deep in the development of the game and he decided way late on during this process to make it connected so everything was pretty much this game that could easily not fit into anywhere in the actual kingdom hearts timeline but then at the very end of the development and we saw this near the end of the story the game was suddenly shifting gears and was now showing connections to 358 over two days aka my favorite uh favorite title along with uh birth by sleep my real favorite title and the connections are kind of haphazard they're kind of loose they don't make a whole lot of sense but uh, i think namura did the best that he could along with the rest of the team to make this game matter and make it matter in the overall plot of the story so Kingdom Hearts Coded, the initial version, was announced at Tokyo Game Show 2007 along with 358 Days and uh, Birth by Sleep. And initially, the game was purely on a mobile phone format. Uh, it was pre-installed on the, I'm going to butcher this name, on the Docomo P-01A mobile phone that released in Japan on November 18th of 2008. This game came pre-installed, pre-loaded on, you'd play it, you'd have a great time. But the biggest selling point for this was that what was installed on the actual phone was just episode one. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, just like a Telltale game, this game had the ambition to be an episodic format. So this game wanted to release episodes as they went, and you can tell, you can tell, as the episodes went on, they started to get bored with this idea of it not being canon. And so they started adding in all of these elements near the end to tie it to the rest of the story. Now this would be kind of retconned and um, quote-unquote fixed when a remake was announced at E3 of 2010 on the 3DS. The final um, episode in the initial mobile game version released on January 28th of 2010. Now, this remake was made initially to be just a straight port from the mobile phone onto the 3ds which would have been awful because if you look up just google kingdom hearts coded original version and you will see that those graphics are gnarly those graphics are total and complete balls so once they realized that the port didn't even fill up a third of a Nintendo 3DS cartridge, Nomura was like, oh, there we go, there we go, we gotta remake, remake the whole thing, we gotta remake it in 3D with new game mechanics, the whole deal. So they handed it over to Hand, which was the uh, game company that had a hand in making previous mobile titles such as uh, 358 Days Over 2 and so on. And so hand initially was like okay we don't want to do this but we're gonna do this because this continues our working relationship with square enix and with nomura um but it became such a huge hassle because you're taking this game that you're essentially the only thing you're taking about it is the premise and the story and porting it over to a completely new console with new graphics you got to bring in people to voice uh, new cutscenes that weren't present in the original game. You have to rework the story. You have to 
uh, figure out gameplay, the whole thing. So they actually ended up pulling people from the Birth by Sleep crew while they were in the middle of developing Birth by Sleep to help them just because they were so overwhelmed. So despite all that, RE Coded or Recoded was released in October of 2010 in Japan with a localization release in North America and Europe in January of 2011. So that game finally made it into uh, homes and consoles outside of Japan. There was much rejoicing and then much confusion. So that is the full background of the game. Uh, next up, we're going to be jumping into the synopsis of the game. If you haven't played this game, or you haven't done the task that I did, where I essentially watched the uh, coded movie on the uh, Kingdom Hearts 1.5 and 2.5 Remix collection that's on the PS4, uh, I don't know what to tell you. Um, if you're okay with spoilers, stick around with us. If not, uh, watch that movie, uh, pick up 3DS. If you have a 3DS, pick up this game, uh, work through it, and then you'll be able to share in this uh, story synopsis. Or if you're just throwing caution to the wind and you want to hear the story for the first time, thank you and good luck. Following the events of their most recent adventure, Jiminy Cricket, who at this point has been kind of the scribe of the Kingdom Hearts adventures, is chronicling and organizing the events that happened in his journals. He has one journal set for the first adventure with Sora, and the second journal for the adventure that just recently wrapped up. But while going through these journals to try to organize them, he finds a mysterious message that he doesn't remember writing. The message says, Thank Namine. And while this absolutely confuses him, Jimmy stumbles upon another message that he couldn't have possibly written. A message that says, Their hurting will be mended when you return to end it. Bringing his findings to King Mickey, Jiminy has little answers to what this could be. He had kept the journals with him throughout their entire adventures. There's no way that someone else could have written these messages in there. So King Mickey decides, we're going to get to the bottom of this. We are going to digitize the contents of these journals to try and see if we can uh, work our way through them to find out where these messages came from. And through digitizing these journals, they create the datascape, which is essentially the internet, but also the journal. The journal has been digitized and its events spread out among this datascape, essentially a living, sort of breathing, sort of uh, chronicle of the adventures that have happened so far. However, without being able to go into the datascape, King Mickey and Jiminy have no way to go through all the events that have transpired. Not only that, but the datascape is riddled with bugs and glitches that seemingly come from out of nowhere, from deeper within the journal somehow. So realizing that there's no way for them to directly affect what's going on, Mickey says, I've got just the guy for the job. Meanwhile, on a Destiny Islands, 
just maybe not the one that we're all familiar with. Sora wakes up. But this is a more familiar Sora than we're used to. This is the Sora from his first adventure. This is Sora in the red shorts. This is Sora seemingly from the past. It's at this point that Sora is contacted by Mickey, who is on the outside. Mickey reveals that this is a data Sora, a Sora that they plucked from the pages, or I guess the files, of the datascape of the journals, and they're asking him for help. They're asking him to clear out the bugs that are now residing in the datascape and to help them get to the bottom of this mystery, to get to the to the bottom of what's going on with these secret messages. And of course, because Data Sora is the same as real Sora, Data Sora is more than happy to help. Uh, pretty soon, Sora, or Data Sora, that's gonna get confusing, is given a Keyblade by Mickey and proceeds to clear up the bugs that have happened on the Destiny Islands soon finding himself in the secret hideout underneath the large tree on the island. Within there, he finds the keyhole that will seal off Destiny Islands from the bugs. And as he does this, a huge white light envelops the screen. Just so you know, Mickey, Donald, and Goofy are following the exploits of Data Sora by watching him on this ridiculously elaborate computer that they have set up in the Disney Castle library. But even being on the outside, the light that shines through from Sora sealing the keyhole in Destiny Islands somehow emanates out of the screen towards them. As the light fades, Mickey, Donald, and Goofy find that Sora has been confronted by a man in a familiar black coat. The man opens up a portal to another world to which Mickey urges Sora to follow. Through this portal, Sora finds himself in Traverse Town. And at the same time, back at Disney Castle, we find that Heartless have invaded. Uh, Mickey, Donald, and Goofy fight off the ones that are in the library, but as they try to leave the library to find out if more have infiltrated the castle, they find that they are unable to leave the library. Something is locking them in. When they return to the computer, they find a new message has shown up in the digitized version of the journal. This message basically telling them that once they are able to get rid of whatever the hurt is, they will be able to leave. Meanwhile, Sora has sealed up the keyhole in Traverse Town. He makes his way to Wonderland, where he, after sealing the keyhole there as well, is confronted by the man in the black coat again. The man in the black coat beckons Sora to follow him into another dark portal, which Sora, of course, does. Back at Disney Castle, Mickey, Donald, and Goofy are surprised when there is a knock at the door um, from the outside. Pretty soon, the doors bust open, and who walks in but Sora? Not the real Sora, though, the data Sora that they've been kind of guiding through this adventure. Somehow, he's there with Mickey, Donald, and Goofy. It's here that the man in the black coat arrives, and reveals himself to be Riku, 
also seemingly de-aged back to how he looked in the first Kingdom Hearts game as well Chain of Memories. But this Riku reveals himself as the sort of the backup hard drive for the journal. When the bugs and the glitches started to make their way through the datascape, the journal created this data Riku as sort of an avatar holding all of the, um, I guess, the original data from the journal inside of him. So essentially, this data Riku is the journal. He then reveals to the group that Mickey, Donald, and Goofy are in fact in the datascape. Uh, we have a quick pan out and we see that the room, the initial library that Donald, Goofy, and Mickey were in, now only has Chip and Dale. That they have been trying to gain contact with them ever since they were zapped. And it's revealed that the bright light that shone out through the computer screen when Sora sealed up the keyhole in Destiny Islands was in fact this Data Riku or the journal slash Data Riku bringing Mickey, Donald, and Goofy into the datascape to help. Uh, following this, they find that the datascape is being broken into. Red lights are flashing everywhere. They get an update from the system saying that someone has severed the link between the datascape and the real world. So now, not only are Mickey, Donald, and Goofy trapped in the datascape, they have no way to get home. Um, Riku, Data Riku slash the journal, God, this is confusing, um, tells Mickey, Donald, and Goofy that the only way for them to get home would be to clear out the rest of the bugs and to find how to fix the link between the datascape and the real world. And of course, Sora, being who he is, jumps in saying that he's going to... He's going to fix all these bugs, he's going to figure out the problem, and he is going to get them home. He then heads off to the next world, which happens to be the data equivalent of Olympus Coliseum. After completing his adventure there, he's approached by a strange figure. An unfamiliar figure, though not unfamiliar to us as the audience. It's Pete. Somehow, Pete survived the events of Kingdom Hearts 2 and has found himself in the Datascape. He claims that this Datascape belongs to him now and that he'll be ruling over this world before he moves on to rule the real world. Sora then follows Pete to Agrabah and after completing the tasks set for him there in Agrabah, he confronts Pete once again outside of the Cave of Wonders. It's here that Pete summons his boss, Maleficent, who, has been, who is revealed to have also survived the ending events of Kingdom Hearts 2. Maleficent dispatches Sora and follows that up with destroying Sora's Keyblade. And just as it looks like Digital Sora, Data Sora, is about to be destroyed by Maleficent, who should show up but Journal slash Data Riku and Mickey. The two of them fight off Maleficent and Pete, and Pete reveals that he was brought into the Datascape along with Mickey, Donald, and Goofy. He had infiltrated Disney Castle around the time that they were putting the datascape together and was peeking into the library when data riku brought 
the gang into the datascape. Pete was deposited somewhere else in the datascape and summoned Maleficent to him. Maleficent having decided that she is going to rule over this world as well as the real world. And it's revealed that Pete and Maleficent were the ones who severed the link between the real world and the datascape, trapping Mickey, Donald, and Goofy here. Because for some reason, through her magic, Maleficent can travel between both worlds at will, and assuming can also bring Pete with her. So Mickey and the journal engage Maleficent, but Maleficent is able to capture the journal, realizing that this data Riku has the entire um, backup hard drive for the journal within him and is therefore the key to ruling over the datascape. Maleficent and Pete then leave, leaving Mickey and a defeated Datasora. Mickey then reveals to Datasora that the Keyblade that he had been wielding was merely just a data replica. It wasn't a real Keyblade, and that's why Maleficent was able to destroy it. And without that data Keyblade, Sora has no way to fight the many bugs, glitches, and data heartless that happen to be littered across the datascape. Mickey tells Sora to sit this one out and that he is going to handle it. He then heads to Hollow Bastion. Soon after, though, Data Sora, wanting to help, heads off to Hollow Bastion as well. After making his way through Hollow Bastion, Data Sora finds and confronts Pete and is soon joined by Donald and Goofy, who didn't want to leave their friend behind. Pete is able to capture Donald and Goofy and tells Sora that he's useless without his Keyblade. He can't affect anything, and he is essentially useless against him. While Data Sora is just destroyed by this and is doubting himself, Donald and Goofy recount the adventure that they had with the real Sora back in Hollow Bastion, telling him that the key to overcoming the darkness is that he doesn't have to do it alone. And Donald tells Sora the same thing that the real Sora said while they were in Hollow Bastion. My friends are my power. And it's at that moment that Data Sora is able to summon a Keyblade for real this time. It seems that the connections that Datasaur has made across this adventure with Donald and Mickey and Goofy allowed his heart to connect to whatever higher power gifts these Keyblades to their Keyblade wielders. They are able to defeat Pete, but soon after, Pete summons Data Riku, who he has infected with bugs and corrupted his data to turn him against Sora. Uh, Data Riku, or the journal, is actively trying to fight against this, but he has no control over what his body does, and so he engages Sora, Donald, and Goofy. The three are able to defeat Journal slash Riku slash Data Riku and find that his corruption is deep into his central data, that the only way that they are going to be able to uh, rescue him to cure him of this corruption is to dive into the journal itself even though technically they were already in the journal but 
essentially they have to dive into the backup hard drive of the datascape to rid that hard drive of the bugs as they have been doing throughout this entire adventure so of course sora knowing that this could have really heavy ramifications on him being that he is just a digital construct dives in to data riku's datascape while in there he fights through the entirety of his adventures all over again backed up onto the uh data riku datascape and finds that as he's making his way through he's starting to liberate certain systems from inside data riku and data riku's consciousness the little bit that isn't corrupted is able to contact him and talk with him and it's at this point that we get an interesting little tidbit during their conversation because data sora brings up that he followed data riku from destiny islands to traverse town and that he tells him wait, wait a second the first time we met each other was in traverse town which means that there's another cloaked figure running around in this datascape more on that later within this datascape sora and the little bit left of the uncorrupted data riku are able to defeat maleficent who has hid herself inside of his data and are able to rid the data riku datascape of all of these bugs sora then returns to the main datascape and finds that data riku is back to normal uh data riku basically congratulates data sora along with mickey donald and goofy saying that they've cleared all the bugs all the bugs are gone and that they can now safely return to the real world data riku almost seems to want to tell mickey donald and goofy something before they leave but says that it can wait he then opens up the path the link back to the real world and mickey donald and goofy say their goodbyes and head back out once they're back in the real disney castle in the real library they are contacted by data riku and data sora it's here that data riku reveals that with them clearing out all of the bugs the datascape will have to reset back to how it was before it was infected with these glitches which means that this version of data sora and this version of data riku may be completely erased and this adventure that they all just went through will be struck from the record this is really heavy this is really sad because they're having this moment of they just went through this harrowing journey together and now it might all mean nothing just to get back to what they were doing at the beginning suddenly the system glitches and i'm not talking about like a little like glitch it's a heavy heavy glitch and as the system tries to reassert itself the glitch threatens to destroy the datascape also realizing that this reset will be wiping everything out inside the datascape to reset it to what it was mickey remembers that maleficent and pete who are not made of data are still trapped in the datascape somewhere and that they will be wiped out as well if not worse because they're not made of data and even though they've never been the best of friends mickey doesn't want maleficent and pete to have to suffer whatever would happen in if that ended up happening sora of course 
vows to rescue Pete Maleficent and find out and deal with whatever this glitch happens to be. Datasaur heads back into the depths of the Datascape where he finds that Pete and Maleficent are fighting against a Data version of the Dark Side Heartless. Giant Heartless that he faced back on Destiny Islands and it is looking weird. It's got all these different colors, it looks distorted, like it's been something's going wrong with it. Um, Pete and Maleficent are rescued by Data Riku and are pulled back into uh, safety while Sora has to deal with this giant heartless glitch. It's here that Mickey reveals to Sora that this is Sora's heartless. That throughout all the adventures that they went through, Sora at a certain point did become a Heartless. And of course, because it was part of the original adventure, it was logged in Jiminy's journal. And through this, Sora's Heartless was able to hide within the journal. And it is the source of all of the bugs that have plagued the journal so far. And as Datasora made his way through the journal, evolving and learning and becoming stronger, so too did Sora's Heartless. Being that he is still linked to Sora, he grew in strength, he evolved, and he got stronger along with Datasora. And every Data Heartless that Sora defeated within the Datascape because they're digital and they don't actually have hearts, their knowledge, their energy, their digital code was freed and essentially eaten by Sora's digital heartless. And this is terrifying because this thing has been getting stronger throughout the entire adventure while Datasora has been hacking away at these glitches, at these bugs, at these data heartless. And all of the work that he's been doing has only been making this thing stronger. Uh, this data dark side evolves into an anti-Sora, possibly its final evolution, and the two do battle. Sora is able to finally defeat anti-Sora once and for all, but before he can finish it off for good, the anti-Sora evolves or devolves back into the giant dark side version and knocks Sora away. Just as it seems like this is a losing battle and that there's no hope, Mickey dives back into the Datascape to help Sora defeat his digital Heartless. The two are able to put an end to it, destroying the glitch and saving the Datascape. Following this, they rendezvous with Data Riku along with Pete and Maleficent, and Data Riku forces Pete and Maleficent to leave the Datascape. After this, Mickey says goodbye to Data Sora, with the two knowing that following this, there will be. the reboot is still happening. And regardless of what else they can do, Data Sora, at least this version of Data Sora, will be erased. Ultimately, Mickey does say goodbye to Datasora and heads back into the real world. Meanwhile, in the space between the real world and the Datascape, Maleficent is hatching a new plot with a new goal alongside Pete. She references a new mysterious item called the Book of Prophecies and mentions that 
the idea of the datascape is not unlike the idea behind the Book of Prophecies. The Book of Prophecies apparently was a tome that would be able to tell the future. Whatever was written into the Book of Prophecies inevitably came to pass. And Maleficent, now knowing that this datascape, or as she calls it, the date escape, has the ability to craft these adventures that were written in, and essentially Jiminy writing in these journals allowed for the datascape to have the properties that it does, she starts to think about whether there could be a connection or a link between the Book of Prophecies and the Datascape, which might allow her to find the Book of Prophecies and take control of not only her destiny, but the destiny of all the worlds. Meanwhile, back out on the real world, uh, the journal reset does take place, it is rebooted, and our version of Datasora is erased. Following this, though, a new message is received. This message being from Data Riku, who did survive the reboot slash reset because he is an embodiment of the journal's, um, I guess the journal's knowledge itself. And he talks about how data was added to the Datascape following the reset. This is new data that they're not sure what it is or where it comes from, but this is data that might hold the secret to the message that was originally starting off this whole adventure. Yes, we have gone all the way through this adventure and finally near the end, we are finally coming back to why the adventure started in the first place. Mickey wants to send Data Sora again, but then remembers that Datasora has been reset, and this Datasora has no idea not only how to wield the Keyblade, but also how to uh, understand any of the stuff that's happened. So Mickey devises a plan and dives back into the Datascape one last time. We flash over to Datasora, who is waking up inside of Data Traverse Town. We've seen this before. We know what follows this. Datasora will go on to follow Pluto, run into uh, Goofy and Donald, and their adventure will begin. However, after being woken up by Data Pluto, Datasora rounds the corner to follow him and is confronted by Mickey. King Mickey basically catches Datasora up on everything that's happened, gives him a quick abridged version of everything that's going on and basically tells him that he needs his help that as good as mickey is as much as he can do he can't go where he can't go to places that only data can exist so he needs datasora's help and of course because datasora is an embodiment of sora's personality and his heart he absolutely agrees to help mickey they head through into the datascape into this new data that was created essentially a new world that was created and find themselves at castle oblivion that's right this new data that was added into the datascape 
was a full, complete digital version of Castle Oblivion. What we thought was lost to the annals of time and Sora's latent memories is here. And it's here that Datasaur is confronted by the new black coat. Uh, this is the same black coat that confronted the original Datasora in uh, Destiny Islands at the start of this adventure. If that doesn't confuse you, whew, thanks for sticking around. <laughs> so this new black coat gives Datasora the cards to make his way through Castle Oblivion and then heads deeper into the castle promising that Datasora will get what he came for but of course to find is to lose and to lose is to find as Datasora starts making his way through Castle Oblivion he starts reliving not the adventures that Sora went through in the initial adventures but Datasora's adventures throughout this. That's right, Castle Oblivion, the Castle Oblivion data, is a composite um, recreation of this specific adventure of Datasora going through all of these data uh, replicas of these worlds. So the Datasora that we thought was lost isn't lost his memories are still within the system which is what created this data castle oblivion and as this data sora makes his way through the castle at each floor he finds the new black coat who tends to mock him and tease him for forgetting everything that made him who he is as he starts to make his way through the castle uh the new black coat continues to taunt him, telling him about the fact that he will never understand the hurt that he is supposed to be there to end, that this hurt will continue to fester within him and will eventually bring him down into the darkness. Eventually, Datasora gets fed up and the two battle. And as they battle, the black coat reveals two very telling weapons the Oathkeeper Keyblade and the Oblivion Keyblade. That's right, this new black coat is Data Roxas. Following the battle, Data Sora is able to defeat Data Roxas, and Data Roxas reveals to Sora that this hurt that has been mentioned over and over and over and over again through this adventure is not technically a. Uh, what we would understand as hurt. Hurt is essentially the pain and suffering felt by those connected to Sora, their feelings, their emotions, their, um, their painful memories. All of that contributes to this hurt that Sora is supposed to mend. Uh, Data Sora accepts Data Roxas for who he is and accepts the responsibility of having to mend this hurt and, and ultimately end it. With this, Data Roxas realizing that no matter whether in Data or in real life, Sora is who he always has been, and that's someone who will give up everything to save everyone. Data Roxas concedes, gives Sora one final card, and returns into Data Sora's heart. It's here that Data Sora is flooded with Data Roxas's memories in one of the 
oh, one of the saddest scenes in this entire adventure. And he is flooded with all of Data Roxas's memories. And there's this moment where he's trying to piece his way through these memories that are suddenly flooding into his head. And he talks about, I'm just seeing something that keeps coming to my mind. And that's the first and last summer vacation. And just hearing that, oh, man, as a side note, really got me. Got me in the feels. But... Following this, Mickey finally catches up to Data Sora. They were separated at the beginning of entering into Castle Oblivion. And as Data Sora uses the card to head into the final room, they encounter Namine. And it's here that the truth is finally revealed. The bugs, the glitches, all of it was just a side effect of the memory restoration that Namine was performing on Sora. When Sora went into the pod to have Namine repair all of his memories, she broke everything apart that had happened within Castle Oblivion and pieced everything back together. That included the journal entries that Jiminy had made, and that's why the journal was nearly blank when they came out during Kingdom Hearts 2. But while she was piecing these memories together, she didn't just find Sora's memories. She also found memories of those connected to Sora's heart. And these memories were dangerous. These memories were full of pain, full of suffering, and could hurt, and not just emotionally, but physically break Sora's heart if he couldn't accept the hurt that he had to ultimately mend. And these painful memories manifested themselves as this quote-unquote hurt, along with the bugs and glitches in the Datascape. Datasora, however, proved that Sora can handle this hurt, and that ultimately, given the chance, the real Sora will mend this hurt and will end the suffering of those who have been suffering all this time, whether they were sleeping, whether they were trapped, whether they were ultimately reduced to nothingness. These people who were connected to Sora's heart through all different walks of life ultimately are waiting for him to end their suffering, to end their pain, to end their hurt. And so it's here that Datasora and Mickey decide to delve into these painful memories that Namine has kept bottled up. It was Namine keeping these bottled memories together and away from Sora that caused the bugs to appear in the first place. And it's here, through accessing these memories, that Mickey and Datasora are met with the memories of first Roxas, Axel, and a mysterious dark-haired girl that we as the audience know to be Shion. And it's here that we, at least for me, recognize that Sora contains all of these memories through all three of these people, whether it's Axel's will to protect Roxas, whether it's Roxas' full memories from merging back with Sora, Shion's memories, her life experiences, her um, adventures with Roxas and Axel ultimately giving everything up so that she can return to Roxas, who would later return to Sora, and that both of them together completed Sora and allowed him to wake up after that year. 
Uh, following this, they find that Data Namine is holding more memories for them, that being the memories and the hurt of Aqua, Ventus, and Terra. Data Namine reveals that these three specifically are waiting for Sora to return to them and end their suffering. Mickey, following this, promises to inform the real Sora about everything that he's seen here, and that he will double down on his efforts to rescue everyone that they've just encountered through these painful memories. This is also the moment where it's kind of established for, I would say, canonically, for the first time in-universe, that Sora is the key that connects everything. No matter what happened in these games that may have been connected, disconnected, loosely attached, or what have you, from Sora, at the end of the day, everything that has happened, all roads lead back to Sora. And that is why he is the main character. That is why he is the most important character in these games, is that everything has led to him. It's not just him who is going to be fighting these battles. It's everyone who has touched his heart, everyone who has impacted his life in small ways as well as large ways. So Data Sora, after this, also, and I love this, he tells Naminé that he has a message for her, this Data Naminé, and says, thank you fulfilling the promise that Sora made all the way back at the end of Chain of Memories when he had Jiminy write down Thank Naminé. Data Sora finally thanks Data Naminé for everything that she's done for him. And as Data Naminé fades back into the datascape, Mickey leaves with a renewed sense of purpose. He returns to the real world and writes a letter containing everything that's transpired, recounting everything and letting Sora know that even though they defeated Ansem, Seeker of Darkness, though they defeated Xemnas, though they defeated Organization 13 and returned the worlds to peace, the story isn't over. Their battle is not over. Not until he brings all of these people home. And it's revealed that this letter that Mickey is writing is the letter that is sent in a bottle to Sora, Riku, and Kairi at the end of Kingdom Hearts 2. And now we finally know what the message was that Mickey sent to Sora, letting him know that everything had happened here and that they've still got one more mission together. Following this... We reconvene at the Mysterious Tower, where Mickey is recounting everything that happened to Yen Sid. He also makes reference to where the heart of Ventus is residing. Yen Sid makes mention that that means that the only person who has gone unaccounted for is Terra. If only they knew. But it also brings an interesting question. What happened to Aqua? Where is she? And do they know where she is? Following this, Yen Sid also drops a bombshell, not just on Mickey, but on the audience as a whole as well, revealing that Xehanort's presence isn't gone, that we still have one more confrontation coming with him, because though Xemnas and Ansem, Seeker of Darkness, were defeated, 
their defeats are going to bring about the return of Master Xehanort, saying that when a nobody and a heartless are both vanquished, that opens the door for the original being to return, which means that Master Xehanort's return is on the horizon and that he is going to be back to take over the worlds again. Knowing this, Yen Sid tells Mickey to summon Sora and to summon Riku so that Yen Sid can find out if they have the mark of mastery. Meanwhile, in Radiant Garden, Bragg, that's right, Bragg, not Zigbar, Bragg, awakens in the deep lab of Ansem the Wise, surrounded by multiple other members of the organization. Now us as the audience knows that because their nobodies were defeated and assuming their heartless were defeated as well, almost all of the organization members have returned to their original bodies. We see that Bragg is talking to someone also in a black coat and Bragg talks about how Master Xehanort will return soon and that the old coot must have a plan in mind. He grills the young man in a black coat about what that plan might be, but the man in the black coat ultimately reveals that he might not know totally what the plan is. Bragg then references that he has his own goals, and it's revealed to us that the man in the black coat seems to be a young Xehanort. We don't know what's going on with this young Xehanort, how he's there, who he is, why he's there, but we know that there is now a new player on the board. And we see that he has a goal in mind. He has plans. He is part of Master Xehanort's ultimate master plan. And because of this, he is going to need followers and he's going to need possible sacrifices. And as Bragg smiles, he gestures towards the unconscious bodies of the former organization members, and he says, Which poor soul will it be? And that ends this chapter of the Kingdom Hearts retrospective. Um, ultimately, this was a weird game. <laughs> a lot happened. Um, for me, personally, final thoughts, I don't think I really needed all of this to happen to explain what the letter was that uh, Mickey sent to Sora, but this definitely gets us kind of set for what the direction is going to be for the series moving forward from here, especially with those two secret endings following the credits. Um, I'll touch briefly on uh, Recoded here. Uh, as mentioned earlier, uh, it was a complete remake on the 3DS. Uh, they basically built that game from the ground up again. Game mechanics were completely brand new, utilizing some things from 358 over two days, um, utilizing some aspects from Birth by Sleep, and it was just completely redone. And the initial secret ending, that being um, Yen Sid calling for Riku and Sora to take the Mark of Mastery exam, was added for that as well. And then following that, uh, Recoded was included in the Kingdom Hearts 2.5 Remix collection as just a full cinematic, completely going over the events of the game. Uh, new cinematics were added in to kind of round out and complete the story, and a new secret ending was added as well, specifically to that collection, that being the appearance of Bragg and this young Xehanort. 
So I'm not sure exactly what's going on. Um, I have pretty much almost made my way totally through um, Dream Drop Distance. There's some stuff I still need to do to beat the game, but I'm looking forward to seeing how this unfolds. So that is it for this episode when it comes to the Kingdom Hearts retrospective. Uh, we'll be reconvening back here in the first week of January for our final episode with Dream Drop Distance. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode, if there's anything I missed, if you want to tell me about your favorite parts of the uh, of this game or of the series so far, feel free to tweet at us at Pod. that's at P-O-D, or you can also send me emails, because I'm an old man, I still read emails, at geeksplained at gmail.com. And uh, stick around after the jump for This Week in Comics, and we will see you right back here for the final episode. Same Keyblade place, same Keyblade time. Welcome back to This Week in Comics, the segment where I will tell you what you should pick up this week in comics. See what I did there? Uh, title pending, of course. We are always working on titles here. Everything is a work in progress, and we will continue to build. We can build it. We have the technology. So uh, this week, just like last week, we're going to ignore my awful joke. Uh, this week, just like last week, is stacked. Um, I don't know what it is, but Marvel and DC decided that they wanted to send 2018 off with a bunch of comics. So, our neighbor's dog is very excited about comics this week. Um, so, we are going to go ahead and jump right into it. We've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven issues again of comics that I think you should pick up that I'm definitely going to be picking up this week. Whether that be in your local comic book shop, on Comixology, or however you get your comics. So first off, we're starting off with a big one. This is Shazam number one, written by Jeff Johns with art by Dale Eaglesham. Uh, this is the revival of the uh, Captain Marvel character. I guess he's being called Shazam now. Um, and he is getting his first solo book in a very long time. The last time we saw any kind of solo adventures when it comes to Shazam uh, was in... I mean, technically, it was in Convergence since he got a two-issue uh, special, just like other legacy-style characters during the Convergence event. But the last time we got him kind of in main continuity uh, was as a backup feature in the Justice League book for the New 52. So this is, of course, a startup to get people hyped for the Shazam movie next year. And hopefully this isn't just a tie-in cash grab kind of thing, and this is going to be something that they can really push and get behind as the uh, months and years go by. So I will jump right into the synopsis. Uh, we're going to be doing multiple synopses voices again. Um, we tried them a couple out last episode. If you hear any you like or you have any suggestions for synopses voices, feel free to let me know on Twitter or through email. I will uh, reiterate all of those. I'll plug all those again at the end of this segment. So let's jump right into the synopsis. 
The superstar team of writer Jeff Johns and artist Dale Eaglesham reunite to launch the first all-new Shazam! Monthly title set in the DC Universe in almost 20 years. What took you guys so long? Teenager-turned-superhero Billy Batson struggles to balance school and superheroics. Guess which one is more fun? But when Shazam unlocks a shocking secret deep within the Rock of Eternity, it challenges everything he knows about the worlds of magic and his family's future as its champions. Also, witness the bizarre team-up of Dr. Savannah and Mr. Mind as they set off to build a society all their own. Don't miss the start of an epic run in the making as Shazam and the Seven Realms begins. So I think that's really interesting, Shazam and the Seven Realms. It kind of gives me the... Uh... Kind of gives me a Jason Aaron Thor vibe. And um, I'm interested that it says teenager turned superhero Billy Batson because he's always been kind of uh, preteen. But I guess if we're going by the uh, passage of time in the New 52 slash Rebirth, uh, I guess he would be a teenager by now. So I'm interested. I'm going to give it a shot. And I think you should too. Next up, we have Marvel Knights 20th anniversary number three of six, uh, written by Donnie Cates. With art by Damien Cusero, I'm so sorry, uh, Jeff Shaw and Teeny Howard. Uh, this has been really interesting so far. Uh, it's pretty much living up to the idea that it's kind of flashpoint for the Marvel Universe. Uh, it's interesting. It's really interesting. I'm interested to see where this goes. So we'll jump right into the synopsis for this. Bruce was happy in his life, at peace. But that was before the notes came every night, scrawled in a childlike hand, driving him to seek out others like him. The blind man, the law officer, the self-defense instructor. Together, they must probe the very darkest parts of the soul on a quest for identity. A mystery that can only be unraveled, a threat that can only be challenged by knights. I'm loving the Marvel Knights branding. I'm a big fan of that. Uh, and also with it kind of focusing on Daredevil, Punisher, Elektra, and for some reason, Bruce Banner. Uh, I'm interested. I'm interested. I've been really enjoying the issues so far. The first two issues were really good and really good uh, dives into how these characters would be should certain events not have transpired. So I'm definitely going to be seeing this series through for sure. Uh, next up, we have Nightwing number 54, uh, written by Scott Lobdell with art by Chris Mooneyham. Uh, this has been interesting so far. Um, I'm interested to see this new team of Nightwings coming in and kind of taking up the Nightwing mantle, all of these trained police officers kind of trying to go about this in a different way. And Rick Grayson... That name still really bothers me. Uh, Rick Grayson, his adventures are interesting as well. I'm gonna see. I'm interested to see if he ends up coming back to being Dick Grayson, or if we're gonna have to get a whole new version of Nightwing with this new Rick Grayson persona. So here is the synopsis for that. The repercussions of the cataclysmic events of Batman number 55 continue as a scarred Dick Grayson has given up his vigilante persona in favor of a normal existence. A new job, new friends, new life, all are compromised when a safe house full of old Nightwing gear falls into the wrong hands. Confronted with a past he's worked so desperately to escape, will Dick Grayson answer the challenge by becoming Nightwing or something else? 
the newest chapter in the evolution of Dick Grayson reaches its next level. So yeah, um, it seems really interesting. I'm really interested on seeing what where this goes. Uh, this brought me back to the Nightwing book after I was away from it for a little while. So I'm looking forward to seeing where this goes. It's a cautious optimism I'm describing that as. Uh, but one book I am not cautiously optimistic about, I am just all optimism on is west coast avengers number five uh this is written by kelly thompson with art by danielle di nicuolo i'm sorry again i'm really sorry uh with double art duties by stefano caselli um i've just been loving this book uh if you haven't picked it up do yourself a favor pick up the first four issues they are a blast and this new team is really fun they have a really weird dynamic together and it's just it's proving for really good comics so um they just wrapped up the first arc and the first four issues so now is a perfect time to pick those up or if you haven't jumped on yet this is the perfect time to jump on so we will jump right into the synopsis from here city of evils begins Turns out not everyone is happy the good guys have gotten the band back together again, in the form of an all-new West Coast Avengers. Some villains were actually pretty pleased with the status quo, and they've got creative ideas about an unwelcoming party to rectify the situation. Double Hawkeyes, America Chavez, Quentin Quire, Gwenpool, and Fuse find themselves caught in a not-so-amusing amusement park, where the other attendees are, well, mostly villains looking to take them out. Super fun! Artist Danielle de Nicuolo joins the West Coast crew for a thrilling double shipping arc. So yeah, it's just, it's fun. Um, from the synopsis, it kind of sounds like Stefano Caselli might not be on the book, which would be a shame because he's been one of the main ingredients in making this book really good. I'm not super familiar with Danielle uh, de Nicuolo. I'm sorry I keep saying her name. I'm just trying to get it right. Uh, but it says here that she worked on Power Rangers Shattered Grid, which uh, I've heard really good things about. So I'm looking forward to it. I really am. The other book I'm looking forward to is Batman number 60, written by Tom King with art by Mikel Janine. What can I say? It's Batman and Penguin teaming up to fight Bane, basically. Um, the last issue saw Batman confronting Bane in Arkham Asylum while Bane is feigning... Uh, this kind of uh, mental breakdown and he's now kind of on Gordon's shit list as well so we're going to see what happens from here uh, okay so we got the synopsis here we're going to jump into it and uh, yeah Batman takes on a new partner and it's the Penguin after rejecting Bane's crime boss co-op, Cobblepot finds himself in the crosshairs of some very teed-off villains. The feathered felon turns to his old foe to snitch on Bane's scheme, but has to prove his intentions to avoid a bat beatdown. Along the way, this Gotham odd couple begins to bond. Could there be a new bird joining the bat family? Not if Bane has anything to say about it. So I've been really enjoying this. I mean, Mikel Janine's art is stunning and beautiful, and he makes even uh, Oswald Cobblepot look appealing. So I am in for it. I've been really enjoying this weird dynamic that uh, Batman has with Penguin. So I'm looking forward to this. And this is 
technically, I mean, I guess we're kind of past it already, but it's basically the halfway point in the 105-issue story that Tom King is crafting for Batman. Next up, jumping from an established run on a series to a brand new one, is Winter Soldier number one, written by Kyle Higgins with art by Rod Rice. Race? Reese? Rise? God, why are you so bad at this? Pull yourself together, Aaron. Pull yourself together. So this is really fun. Um, I love the Winter Soldier character. I'm a big fan. Uh, It's no secret that when Bucky Barnes took over the role for Captain America, I absolutely adored it. I actually got the recent collection of his initial run as captain america the first volume of it and i've been kind of working my way through it in the past week while i've been uh, on set and i am all for a new winter soldier book especially because it's written by kyle higgins who did one of the best nightwing runs that i've ever read and i mean rod reese rice race um is a great artist and i love how his style is really showing through he has very um I don't want to say ethereal, but it's different. Like, he, his compositions for certain things are different. And, of course, that also comes down to the coloring. But I really enjoy his art, and I think he's going to bring a new uh, perspective to Bucky Barnes. So here is the synopsis for Winter Soldier number one. Bucky Barnes believes in second chances. Having escaped death, the loss of identity, and a life of murder, the man known as the Winter Soldier has worked hard to atone for his sins. But now, he's going to go one step further. What do you do when you've found redemption? You help others do the same. From Kyle Higgins and Rod Reese comes the next chapter in the saga of the Winter Soldier. He's becoming a fixer, working to help others leave behind lives of crime. It's Bucky's way of channeling his own pain in a productive, personal way, by helping others find the redemption that he found. However, as Bucky is going to learn, not all paths are the same, and not everyone can be saved. So this is sounding a lot like, and the uh, covers are seeming a lot like how the... uh, previous Captain America, uh, Mark Wade, Chris Samney run started off with him going from city to city in kind of a uh, world or a nationwide tour. Just him, his motorbike, and trying to fix the world's problems. And I love that because Bucky Barnes is such a flawed character in that he is a man who's trying to do good with an entirely uh blood soaked past behind him so i am all in on this this is a day one pickup for me and i think you guys should really pick it up as well especially if you've been enjoying uh, sebastian stan's run as bucky in the mcu and finally at the end of this list i feel like i've grown up with you guys going through this list we have Doomsday Clock number 8 of 12. That's right, Doomsday Clock is still chugging along. Um, there was a lot of uh, negative press uh, coverage this past month as uh, if it had been on its normal schedule, uh, Doomsday Clock number 12 would have debuted, I think, uh, early November, and a lot of people were giving uh, Jeff Johns and Gary Frank a lot of flack for that. But I respect the fact that they took it to a bi-monthly schedule so that they could continue the 
high quality that the issues have been so far and i'm looking forward to seeing what this issue has in store for us the last seven issues have been excellent uh, the writing's been great the art has been phenomenal and seeing the world that this is taking place in which is supposed to be supposedly the near future of the DC universe, whether or not this is a direct uh, follow-up to the events that happen in the Heroes in Crisis event that's going on. We'll have to wait and see. But Doomsday Clock has been amazing. I've been really enjoying it. And this promises to be just as good. So uh, we'll jump to the synopsis for this final book on our list. This is Doomsday Clock number 8. The critical and commercial hit series by Jeff Johns and Gary Frank continues, following the shocking revelations of last issue. As the truth behind Dr. Manhattan's actions against the DC Universe are revealed, Ozymandias turns to the only being who can stop him, Superman. So I am so ready. Uh, these last couple issues have been kind of teasing the eventual battle that Superman is going to have with Dr. Manhattan. Uh, gosh, I'm so excited for this. And that's kind of been the whole, not the basis, but like the thing that I think everyone has been looking forward to is this final climactic battle with Dr. Manhattan and Superman. It's gonna be it's gonna be a barn burner for sure. Um, I'm excited. I'm looking forward to see how this furthers the story and gets us one step closer to that final confrontation. There's only four issues left after this issue, so um, I'm enjoying the ride for what it is. So that is it for this weekend comics. To recap, we've got Doomsday Clock number eight, Winter Soldier number one, Batman number sixty, um, Shazam number one. We've got Marvel Knights 20th Anniversary number 3. We also have West Coast Avengers number 5. And finally, Nightwing number 54. So definitely pick these books up however you get them. Local comic book shop, um, Comixology, however you get your comics. Definitely pick a few, if not all of these books up. There's some quality stuff coming out right now, and you should not miss out on it. But that is going to wrap it up for this week's episode um whoo this has been a long one uh the last couple episodes have been kind of longer than i expect them to be but i've been really enjoying going through these episodes with you guys and thank you again for being so patient with me last week as i dealt with a shake-up to my normal schedule and had to release a special weekend edition if you haven't checked out our previous episode which is a full in-depth uh, review for Castlevania Season 2, the long-awaited Castlevania Season 2 review. Uh, definitely check that out, and stay tuned next week for our next episode. Uh, we're heading into the holidays, so the uh, next few weeks are going to be a little weird. Um, I'm working out my schedule for the rest of this month, so we might be taking a week or two off between episodes just so that I can get all of the holiday craziness out of the way and can continue on providing for you guys as much content as I can. I will definitely keep you guys updated, but there will definitely be an episode next week. But that is going to do it for this week. So for Geeksplain, this is Eric Azana. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next time. Oh.
Sanctuary.